Philosophers. Philosophers. All right, David. You kind of picked the topic this week, so why don't you go ahead and explain to everybody what we're talking about? Well, I would like to re-evaluate a previous thing that we had talked about and agreed on uh, that I have changed my mind about. What? Um, and and would like to uh, would like to rehash it. So, the uh, the big overarching thing here is about gullibility, specifically as it relates to responsibility. Um, previously in our episode on deep fakes, we explored a hypothetical scenario in which someone who had been defamed by a uh, published deep fake uh, would be denied employment by a potential employer because that potential employer believed what he saw in the deepfake or we could bring this more generally to the employer believed a lie that was told about somebody and denied employment our previous conclusion was that the employer should be held responsible for their gullibility Mm, i don't think that's quite how i would phrase it what I would say is that, yes, the employer is responsible for themselves being gullible or not, but they're still within their dis- right to refuse service for a bad reason. But, for example, you can't hold the employer responsible for not hiring hiring you based on something they were gullible for. Like, uh, well, I, okay, they, so the they will thing- still suffer because they didn't hire you, but that's their fault that they didn't hire you. It's not the person who generated the deepfake's fault. Essentially, this kind of ties back into the willful ignorance discussion, whereas it's like, well, it's it's related. It's just ignorance, not willful ignorance. It's like you are at fault for being ignorant. That's your fault. It's not someone else's fault for intentionally misleading you in this case. It's like you choose to believe it. There, that, Ooh, might, that might be the problem. But, but I was going to say, yeah. but didn't we just do an episode about whether you can choose what we you did. believe? We did. And did we not conclude that you don't? choose what you believe we did conclude that that is correct so we may have a uh, contradiction that we exactly need to sort that, out. And that, that that's that's what i was thinking about too is that we we now have a contradiction in our conclusions that we have reached across our episodes that we need to resolve so either we choose what we believe and we need to go back on that or we don't and so therefore the question of responsibility in the case of a gullible person needs to be reevaluated okay so let's lay out the scenario once again, just to be clear. So in our current scenario, there is individual one, or let's just say agent one, who creates a deep fake or in some way something false, a falsity. Deep fake, slander, whatever. Doesn't matter. Just a lie of some type. Agent two is the employer in this case is now infected with the falsity, or they believe the lie, right? Yep. And because of that, they make a decision about Agent 3. So Agent 3 is the employee or potential employee. Um, about whether or not to hire them. And in this case, the unfavorable outcome happens where... The agent three is not hired due to no fault of their own in this case. So they're not hired. So the chain of events here, you can make the case that the original bad thing, uh, and, and I'm not saying this is how we made the case, but actually, no, let's do it the way we made the case before so we're on the same page and same starting conditions. Originally, 
the contention was that person one didn't do anything wrong. Right? Or, me, uh, or they may have done something morally wrong, but you have the right to lie. Sure. That was let the me, contention originally. Let me, uh, clear something up just for the just oh, for sure. the sake of our of our listeners, because we can look at this piece of paper with the numbers on it and tell who's who. I, I propose we rename our agents to something a little bit more Well, I was going to uh Okay, that's fine. So I, I propose we rename Agent One the liar. Okay. Agent two the believer. And Agent Three, the subject, because they're the one being lied about. Okay, accept. Okay. So, to rephrase all that I just said in the terms of the more easily memorable non-numeric types, um, the liar creates a lie, which is believed by the believer, who then makes a choice about the subject unfavorable to the subject because of the lie created by the liar yes simple as mud so anyway um so in this scenario the way we i believe originally i would have to go back and listen to it to know the exact details but i i want to say um it really doesn't matter what we said then as long as we agree on the initial conditions right now but i think what we had said was that yes it was a morally wrong thing to do for the liar to lie however in a free society he has the right to do that because you do technically have the right to lie. Free speech includes lies. Does it, though? Yes. Anything that is spoken is speech, even if it's not true. It holds up in the Desert Island example, for example. If I'm on a desert island, I can lie about something. I can say something that's not true. And nothing happens to me for doing it. No one would stop me from doing it, right? Okay, I think that's a flawed analogy, though. Perhaps if you can supply an exa- analogy or example. Well, of why I, I think wrong. I think well, I think because lying is a social thing, we can't look at the examples if you're alone on the desert island. And of course, if you tell a lie alone on a desert island, you, if you do any social thing alone, then nothing happens. Sure, but that but speech is inherently social itself, is yes, it not? That, well, that's my point. So that, that we need to evaluate it in a social context because it is a social thing. Okay, so. Lying while you're by yourself is inconsequential. Yes. Lying to another person may not be. Sure. Okay. So there, there's the fundamental difference. Okay. That that like if you're if you're on a desert island with me, yes, and you tell me a lie, this might have dire consequences. Right. And and of course, I'm distinguishing lies from untruths here because a lie is something that you know or well believe to be false, but tell me anyway. Okay. Fair enough. So, I am deceptive in that case. Right. Fair enough. So, I want to call into question the whole... I want to call into question the responsibility that can be laid out for uh, lies. Okay. We've already done this, but I think it's worthy to re-enter this because how we come out on this, I think, will decide how we come out with the rest. Yes. Um... There are two obvious outcomes. The first is that the person who told the lie should be responsible for the lie. Right? Yes. Okay. Because just because you're free to say something doesn't mean you're not free from the consequences of what is said. Correct. Now, this gets... Oftentimes, this gets misappropriated to where, for example, say I tell you something that makes you mad. 
And because you are mad, you hit me with a stick. Is you hitting me with the stick the consequence of me lying to you that I deserved? I would like to say no. Why? Because we make special exception for force because you, by your words, are not threatening me in a way that necessitates the use of force. Mm. And so therefore I am violating your rights. Okay. Let me complicate the situation. Okay. What if I tell you a lie that makes you, that leads you to believe that, okay, let me, let me say that I tell you a lie that me unknowingly, knowingly or unknowingly, it is irrelevant in this case. I tell you something that I know is untrue, but you interpret the untruth as life threatening. I did not intend to tell you a lie that was a threat because it's not. But for example, say we were on our desert island and I said, well, I lie and say we have no food Mm. because I'm hoarding all the food and I don't want you to eat it. So let's just say you or the other, the, in this case, the believer thinks that, well, there's no food, but there's a person in front of me that can be food. And so my life is threatened by the circumstance of not being able to eat. Hmm. So now if I kill you to eat you and then find all your food stores, who's responsible for me killing you? Me or the lie you told that made my life feel a threat? So this actually bleeds into another topic that I added to our our list recently, which was last resorts. So we may end up visiting both of these if this ends up being necessary. Perhaps. Um, because because one one of the last resorts that I wanted to bring up in that discussion was you are going to die unless you otherwise unless you do something that otherwise would be violating someone's rights. So in this case, I'm going to die of starvation because you are preventing me from eating. Right. Or I at least am under the impression that you are preventing me from eating. Well, in this case, it wouldn't be that I'm preventing well, actually, you from eating. Yeah, you're not actually preventing, or I don't think that you're preventing me from eating. I think that we are out of food. We are in a search. We are in a circumstance that there is no food, but you could eat me, and I could and be so, food. So basically, is it justified for me in an act of desperation to kill you to sustain myself? Because as I see it, there is not another way for me to survive. Hmm. This, this sort of gets into the discussion of the actual meaning of rights. Um, that, you know, because rights, like any of our social protocols, exist to serve some sort of purpose that we have. But in the case that the only thing that we care about is not dying in the coming moments, why should I care about those other purposes? Sure. I, I think we have, we're have we at a crossroads. We can either dive into this next topic and suspend this topic until our next episode, once we've reached a decision, if we reach a decision, or we can back off of this example and call it a rare case because I think justifiably it could potentially be a 20% out of the 100% possible cases in that camp, and we could back up to find a more 80% case. I think I think let's stick with the topic that we picked. So okay. and then we'll so, talk about last resorts next time. Pop pop. Let's yep. back down to the original topic. So 
let's let's go back to the less dire in our uh, current example. So to reiterate, the liar tells a lie to the believer, who then makes a choice regarding the subject, resulting in an unfavorable outcome for the subject. And you could even argue that an outcome that otherwise the subject would have found favorable. In our example, if the liar had not intervened, it, all indications would say that the subject would have gotten the job from the believer. Yep. But in the but since the liar intervened, a different outcome was reached. Yep. So the way I had originally classified it was that while the liar is yes morally wrong, the believer was at fault because originally we had made the claim that well the you, believer chose to believe it well no i think that is originally how we phrased th it. that it may have been originally how we phrased it but i think i can still escape my way around it okay by saying that the believer is still held responsible for the choices that they make even under false consequences uh, even under even under false pretenses like for example if I were to hold up a bank because someone put a collar around my neck and told me it was going to explode if I didn't do it, right? I'm under threat. I still am robbing a bank. And that is something that if I shoot someone during the whole inter altercation, I'm still responsible for their death. Now, there is a chain of responsibility that is important here because while... I don't think you can have a model in which every person can only be responsible for what they directly do, necessarily. You can transfer responsibility up a ownership chain, much like we had talked about when it came to property and how I could lend you property, um, for example, or you, I can give you something that is your that is now that is now your property, and you do something with it, and you're still responsible for the act of your property. Or in the same way we had discussed how if I am a business owner and I hire someone to work the front of the store and the person in the front of the store refuses service to somebody else, I still take part of the responsibility for their actions because I entrusted them with contractually with uh, this responsibility. I outsource this responsibility to them. So by my decision of employing them, I kind of take secondary responsibility for everything that they do. Even though in this case of me holding up a bank at life-threatening, which that this could also fall into the case of last resorts as well. But um, you could say that the person holding me, it, it, it's almost similar to the case of me being in that person's employ, even though I don't really have a choice. That person, I'm still choosing to do what the person told me to do, even if it's under false pretenses, and I'm still responsible for what I did. But there is the question of you can... But going back even further to what we talked about yesterday, you can A, be responsible for what you did, but what sh what's the payment for that responsibility can be afforded. So in the case of, for example, the liar, the believer, and the subject, the believer, by acting on information from the liar, has to then put faith in the liar, trust, because... And this is where it gets murky because we did say and we have reached the conclusion that you cannot choose what you believe. Um, so it's not so much that you're putting faith in that person or anything. You well, can't and indeed, help it. in the case of the original example from which this topic comes, uh, in the case of a a deep fake, we basically defined that in such a way that a reasonable person can't tell the difference. So it's not. Right. 
It's not like, you know, they're they're stupid for not looking into it or whatever. Like, they, there may not have been a way for them to look into it. Right. Um, so, I think what we're trying to get to, though, is, is does person, does the subject have a claim to make against the liar for being wrong, for having their rights violated in some way? Is that ultimately what we're trying to get to? Yes. Okay. So, I'm going to let you tell me what they can claim against the liar and let me see if it makes sense I, well are you looking for like super specifics or what could say we did have a third party impartial system of any kind what complaint could the subject make to this body against the liar or what could they approach the liar directly if they knew who it was and say you have wronged me because you violated my I, right to X. I the, the complaint would be that the liar unfairly uh, prevented the subject from obtaining gainful employee. Right. Okay. So my question then would be, does the subject have a right to gainful employee? Does the subject have a right to gainful employee? No. Okay. So, I think it's not about what... It's not so much in this case about specifically what the subject did not get. I think it's more about you would have to make the case that the liar intervened. The liar altered the trajectory of... options and possibilities for the subject so you can make the claim that uh, but how does that come out in rights though like you you could say you have the right to go unmolested you know in your life like i have the right for no one to change what's going to happen to me like no one should mess with me unless i let them do it you know i should be able to go where i want and not be stopped unless I bump into someone else's rights, but say there was an, a wide open plane of land that no one owned and no one had laid claim to. No one should be able to stop me from walking on it, right? In in if I'm walking towards, you know, my objective, someone steps in my way and says you can't go this way, for no, but has no legitimate claim. It's similar to that, maybe. Is I'm trying to put a physical example in because realistically, what the subject would have to prove is that the believer would have acted differently in absence of the liars in uh, of the liars lie yes and that i think is hard to prove it's impo- well, it, it's it a- might be i mean well i mean you know i don't think it's completely unreasonable for the believer to be called in and testify that the primary reason that uh, the, the primary thing that informed their decision not to employ the subject was the lie right so i guess the the the, what we would need to look at is if that's the case the believer in this instance was essentially just a mediary between the two he really he or she really didn't have a meaningful part to play they were just they they might as well have not even been an agent involved 
Right. Well, right. and indeed, since since this is operating on beliefs, which we have concluded are not chosen, they, they really are just like a circumstance. They're like a medium. They're not really acting under their own agency. Exactly. Because I think we could create a parallel instance that is that would not involve a third agent, but could be the same circumstance, but would invoke the same circumstance. And I would like to do that, okay. if that's okay with you. Because I feel like the presence of a third agent interferes and muddles the uh, discussion and makes it more complicated and unnecessarily complicated. Okay. Um, so let's, let's, let's use a water source um, example. Tell me if this is a, is a decent I was example. sort of thinking about this myself, so I think I know where you're going, but go ahead. Um, I have, uh, there is a river and I live down river from, uh, the I am the downriver person. The upriver person decides to dam the river and create a lake. When they do this, they have even if they didn't know about me, they have inadvertently removed my access to water and thus put a threat to my life if I don't adjust. Now, having done this, I have a bone to pick with the upriver person. If I were the downriver person, is it wrong for the upriver person to dam the river to create a lake? In this case. Yes, I think so. Yes. Um, possibly. Um, this is this also... This, this is a very gray area. It's a very gray area because it really depends a lot about what you believe about property. Exactly. And like, d- does the downriver person actually own their part of... The, not, not just the place where the river is, but the river itself, the actual water. Right. But it's similar because that's what we're talking about is do you have a claim to an unmolested life? Like, do you own the oppor- – do you have a claim to opportunities? That's It's the same. Because really, all a river pro- in this case provides is an opportunity for you to do something with it. Just like the opportunity to get a job – isn't yeah. yours it's an ethereal thing that it, it is real and, and, and well and there are some cases in which i would say no you don't have a claim to opportunities necessarily um for, for instance copyright I, i've sure. often raised my my contention with that of, of the like the concept of you know stealing the potential sale of a of a copy of a thing Right. So in this case, the liar is stealing a potential job. Well, or okay. potential now, employment. Now, the difference. The difference here, I think, though, is that the, the difficulty in proving this aside. In principle, you had the job if not for this liar. But you could also make the same claim about sales. Like, say, for example, I created a piece of software. And I had a bunch of people, not pre-order, but they, uh, let's look at the, like, a real-world example is, like, the mass drop model, which is where people claim items if they were to be created so that manufacturers know how many to make. Like, like for example, if uh, this website, the way it used to work, what, the way it kind of works is 40,000 4, 4, people pledge to buy this thing. You can't pay in advance for it because it doesn't exist. But if you pledge to buy it, you, um, the manufacturer will make it. And then yeah. when they do, you can turn your pledge into um, a pre-order. But if you pledge and then you don't pre-order, you lose credit for, yeah. like, we're not going to trust you as much the next time yeah. you pledge to buy something, right? Mm-hmm. So 
say I had a bunch of people pledge to buy this thing, I can prove that there's a list of people out there who really want this thing. Yep. But then someone else comes in and says, oop, yoink, and then copies it and reaches out to them instead and says, ah, here you go. I can give to you right now. We have a different variable here, though, because at this point, you now have a sort of agreement with everyone who pledged to do it. And so then they are going back on their pledge. And so they're the ones that are at fault. Right. Potentially. But the person, so maybe copyright's not the right vessel for this. Yeah. Um, But but I only raised copyright because that is an instance in which I would in which I would disagree that there is some sort of right to one's opportunities being unmolested necessarily. So, so that, that definitely cannot be the angle from which I come at this. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and that's kind of what we're dealing with now is that we are talking about damages that aren't real. There has been no exchange of goods. There isn't an, a physical item or monetary con- or a contract that has been created. It's before all that. Um, I think the vector you could approach this from, perhaps, is what about reputation? That well, yeah, that, that's sort of where I was going to go next. Is is you know because it doesn't have to be in the case of employment because we I think I think we might be getting hung up on you know like the monetary gains that come from employment. Uh, sure, but, but that's, but that's not physical. really matter. Like, but but if someone lies about me and this causes me to be harassed every time I go out in public, right? Like that that is also something that I would consider damaging. Sure, and clearly other people do because otherwise we wouldn't have defamation or libel laws. Right. You know, exactly. It you can take the pragmatic observation that most people think that it is wrong for you to do this. It is a bad thing for you to do. Why? I don't really know why. I just know that it is, and most people agree that it's bad. I just don't think we've explained it. Right. And I think that's what we're trying to do now is put an actual principle behind it so that we can justify it and maybe even clear up instances on when it is or isn't defamation or libel. Because that's really what we're talking about. If because, for example, you you can make the claim that what if the liar lied about you in a positive way? Yep. They told something about you that wasn't true, and you got a job that you normally wouldn't have gotten. In principle, that's still just as wrong. Yes. Um. Even. But now the victim in this case is the believer. Is it? Well, okay. Depending. Depending. If, if, yes. If, if this positive lie landed you a job that you're actually not qualified for, then the believer, in this case, an employer, has lost because now he's going to pour resources into attempting to onboard you for this job that you can't actually do and then it's going to cost a lot of money to find that out true and and i would in that case you do actually have measurable damages too yes i would i dare i'm not going to but i could actually layer another complexity on top that would actually maybe resolve this if we have time you think it's worth going into for the moment? I mean, we're not even halfway through our hour. Oh, so. right. Well, I'm going <laughs> to add another layer of complexity because I think this is a real life circumstance that, ha- that occurs. In the labor market, there is this concept of the entry level position that isn't entry level. Like, for example, an entry level position that requires years of experience. Yeah. So, for example, say I'm applying for a job that is air quotes entry level and uh, it requires one to two years of experience. I know that I can do this job, but the employer is using, in my opinion, a flawed scale. And it may, in fact, be a flawed scale. Uh, you know, I, I would be unfairly disqualified from this job 
Like I say, I could know exactly what the job entails and I know for a fact I can do it, but I will not be given an interview opportunity unless you lie, unless I lie. But I am a good person and I'm not going to lie, but I tell a friend in mine instead. Well, my friend in this case becomes the liar because they're like, no, you do deserve the job. So they reach out and, and vouch for you and vouch for me and get me the interview and I am just surprised that I get the interview. I'm unaware. Just like we could say that the subject in this case could be totally unaware. Let's, I'm going to add that sure. for the sake of this instance. So I get the interview and they never end up asking me about my experience, but they look over the rest of my credentials and hire me anyway. So in this case, I think you could make the claim that the lie actually evens the scale back out because there was already something thumbing the scale in the wrong direction and that is the false claim of the entry-level position or having prerequisites that don't meet the actual purpose of the job but in principle two wrongs don't always make a right no or do they so how do we rectify the situation because in actuality you could say that everything worked out fine. Well, I think that's exactly the angle that I that I would come at it from is that, well, you got the job you wanted. The employer got a qualified employee that they wanted. No harm, no foul. But that's not in principle okay, though. Like, Is that, it not? It's not, though. Why not? I mean... We can go back to the, I'll build you a garden that you didn't know you wanted. Like, for example, I build a garden without your permission on your yeah. property and say, pay me, it's $50. Is it is it always wrong? Or is it only wrong if you don't pay me? Well, I I, I don't, or is it only I don't see the analogy here. Okay, I, I know okay. I know the hypothetical you're talking about. I raise so, it all the time. But right. Let's let's go back to this hypothetical because we're we're all we. If you've listened to any of our episodes, this this hypothetical comes up a lot. Yes. David owns a piece of property. I am idle, but I really want to make some money, and I'm a gardener. So instead of waiting for David to come along and for me to say, "Hey, David, what if I built you a garden? Would you pay me for it?" I just go anyway <laughs> while David's asleep and build a garden or I till a garden, plant everything on it. And then when David wakes up, he comes outside and I'm standing there. I'm like, hi, David, look at this beautiful garden I made for you. And David would say, I didn't ask you to build me this garden. I said, yeah, I know, but I already did it anyway. But that would be $50, please. That's wrong because I violated his right to do what he would with his property, right? That's that's kind of where we yes. went with that is originally that's for this, for brief, for brevity's sake. Well, well yeah, it, it, I think in... in in other private conversations, I have actually changed this analogy because of the variable of being my own property in this case. That's a variable I, I never actually intended for this hypothetical. Because uh, really, the, the, the problem here is that you have done something I didn't agree to pay you for and are now demanding payment. Right. So, but let's say you did want a garden, but yep. you never contracted me yep. for it. I still don't owe you. But what if you paid me anyway? What if I paid you anyway? But what if you really did want it? I just knew what you wanted and you did it. Oh, and so then out and of my appreciation of you having done it, I say, okay, here's 50 bucks. Right. So in this case, I got what I wanted, the 50 bucks. And I got what and I you wanted. you got what you wanted. No harm, no foul, right? Yep. I think that's fine. 
Mm. <laughs> but no, my dude. In principle, I still violated your rights, but you're okay with it in hindsight. Yes. So in this case, because, I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the other thing that goes along with rights that no one ever talks about is it's unwanted. That's that's what that's right. the key phrase is unwanted X. So I have the right to bear arms, for example, but that's only if I I have the right to wield an arms. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Let me back it up. Let me back it up. The I have the right to not have force unwanted force applied against me. Uh-huh. Right. We're jumping the shark. It, you don't know if it's unwanted. Yeah. So what? And that's what's happening in this case. People are acting. Like, like if I if I'm about to if I'm like walking and I'm about to cross a street and I'm distracted paying attention to my phone and I'm about to walk in front of a speeding bus and a stranger pushes me so that I don't. He has enacted what I first perceive as unwanted force against me until I realize what he just saved me from and then I appreciate it. Right. So then it becomes wanted. So I guess the question is temporally, is it? at any point unwanted or is it at the time the instance occurs unwanted that makes it force because herein lies a huge problem what if 10 years later after paying me 50 bucks for this garden you're like you You know know what what? (laughs) i didn't want that and you really don't do you have a legitimate claim to reverse your decision? You had a legitimate claim to do it the first time. And okay, let's no, back. I, I don't I don't think at that point that I have a legitimate claim to my $50 because at that point, I willingly gave you my $50 in appreciation for it. And now now it would be that, that $50 is your property now. You could either still have it or you could have already spent it or whatever. Um, no, like we... Well, there wasn't really even a deal. You did a thing that I didn't ask for. I gave you, in this case, I gave you a gift of fifty dollars. That's really essentially what it is, because because in principle, I didn't owe you the fifty dollars. Well, I just decided that I it's but, would like to give you fifty dollars for it, and so that is a gift. But that's that is true from your perspective. But in the example, I still demanded $50 and you catered to my demands because you agreed, which yeah. is fine. Well, if if I have if I had a child uh, who, who was old enough to ask for things and they, uh, well, you know, we, we will try to overlook the connotations of this word, but demanded so-and-so a video game for their birthday... So you're trying to you're being extorted by a child and go on. Well, uh, no, not extorted. They're not threatening me. Just like you weren't threatening me about the garden. Mm, I wouldn't. I would disagree. There's a tacit threat, and I think demands by their very nature are tacit threats, because a demand implies action if not acquiesced to. Okay, I think we disagree on definitions in this case. So let's clear up definitions. All right, let's let's so, clear up definitions. So, so when when you say that'll be fifty dollars, please. Are you actually threatening me? No, but... Right. Okay, so my hypothetical child is also not threatening me. Fair enough, okay. They say, I, I want this. And so, because I don't have any particular objections to getting this for my hypothetical child, I do. That I see it the same way. It's a gift. It's the, 
even even though I acknowledge I don't owe you the thing, just like I don't owe my child the thing. Right. I just decide to give it to you anyway. Right. No big deal. So let's and, t- and, but but and since it's a gift, once I have given it, I don't really have claim to demand it back because I regret giving it to you. Okay. So how does this tie back to our original example then? Because from the way you make it seem now, the liar is giving a gift to or what is a gift, really? Because a gift is like a curse. You know, they're kind of the same thing. Uh, in the colloquial definition of a curse, except that one you can't return. Because you can always return a gift. Um, but that's kind of irrelevant. That's just kind of a saying. I'm, you know, muddying sure. the waters by bringing in here. But um, So in this case, uh, let's look at the positive example of the liar, where they gave you the gift of the interview. That's essentially what they've done. They've negotiated on your behalf an interview mm-hmm. falsely. Yeah, yep. under false pretenses. Uh-huh. So, in a way, I'm gifting you an opportunity that you would not have had otherwise. Uh-huh. I'm giving it to you. Yeah. Okay. If I do the opposite, is it a gift? Or do gifts, by very nature, have to be positive? Because you can make the claim. Gifts, gifts do have to be positive. Because if you mm. give me negative something... <laughs> That's called stealing. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, but what about what if I sent you, I gave you a gift, a physical package? Uh-huh. That's a gift. I give it to you. That's literally all it takes for something to be a gift is yes. something Exchanged. given. Well, well, not even exchange. It's given, something given in exchange for nothing. Yes. Exactly. What if in this package there is a pipe bomb? <laughs> it is a gift. Yep. Is it positive? Because I've given you something you did not have before. <laughs> you you have given me the gift of a burden. Yes. But that's what I'm saying yeah. here is I'm giving you because for example, especially in the positive case, in both positive and negative case, if you are in a, if I if the subject is unaware of the liar's presence and interaction, which I don't know that that matters, but I think it's easier to think about if they don't know, in the front end. Um, if you don't know about this gift, I could be gifting you with a burden, or I could be gifting you with whatever the opposite of a burden is an opportunity or an advantage either way though i'm giving you something without you asking for it could you make what if we made this what if we came up with a circumstance that well okay in the gift of giving you something positive for example the liar cannot come at you after the fact like say i let's go back to the positive example of of the employment scenario the liar gives you the opportunity of the interview and you get the job. And then a few weeks later, the you, you the liar and the gifter meet back up for dinner because we had discussed originally they were friends. And the liar comes clean and says, well, you know, I actually got you that interview. And uh, it, it, that was because of me. So I'm glad you got the job. And I'm glad it's a really good paying job. But I've fallen on hard times. Could the liar in this case, since they gave them something, ask for payment? They could ask for okay. payment. Question, though, are they owed payment? No. Okay. But if in the negative case, why are they owed fault? Why does it change with positive or negative, which, may I remind you, is entirely perceptive to the, the either victim, to the, in this case, subject? Yeah. So I, I, I still don't necessarily buy the, uh, the, analogy you're well the phrasing that you're trying to use of of 
a negative gift. I still, I, I'm still not okay. Fully buying that. Let's in this case then let me abstract everything and remove positive and negative entirely. Okay, fair enough. Yep. Okay. So, um, because I like, wish I could abstract the, the names the liar, too. The liar doesn't give the subject a non-opportunity. They take an opportunity. Mm. So that's the way we're. That's the way you're seeing. That, that, yeah. Well, yeah. That is the way that I'm. That I'm. Hear me out, though. Yeah. The abstraction from an opportunity versus a non-opportunity, they are both circumstances. Yes. So the abstraction is a circumstance. The liar. Then I'm going to go ahead and fully abstract. I really wish I could just call them agents one, two, and three because I feel like even putting liar, believer, and subject on it gives connotation. But I'm going to go ahead and use the names we laid out anyway. The liar creates a lie which is heard by the believer or which is perceived by the believer in some way which causes circumstance, see, a circumstance to occur uh-huh. that affects the subject. Yep. Is that right or wrong? In abstraction, is that right, wrong, or, and this is kind of how I feel about it now, unavoidable? How do you mean unavoidable? Okay. Because we're, we're taking the liar to be an agent here. Yes. So the liar could have not told the lie. That is true. So how about we, okay. Okay, let me let me back up and say let me remove unavoidable and instead in place, or uh, and then ask the question instead is, does the intention matter? Does the liar's intention matter, at all? I don't think so. Okay. Because the liar's intention doesn't matter, is the liar responsible for the circumstance? Yes, because they still knowingly told a lie. Okay, so the liar is responsible for the circumstance. Yeah. Because we're asserting as part of the hypothetical premise that circumstance C would not come about otherwise. If not for the lie. And that makes total... And that, I think, is almost axiomatic and obvious because there is no other way the circumstance would have come about in which they... It's directly responsible, right? Okay. So, if the liar is responsible, okay, for the circumstance, I guess the next question we should ask ourselves is, can a person own a circumstance? No. No. So, anything, so what can we hold the liar responsible for? What responsibility are they going to have to... What What is the result of the responsibility? Like, it's just a circumstance in this case. We don't know whether it's positive or negative in this case. What can you hold the liar responsible I for? Think, well, I, yeah, I think I think this is a weird framing of it, though. Because, like, if I, if I shoot you... But no, I no, just no. put you into a circumstance of being shot. So what? It's just a circumstance. It's like, but there's something else to that. That is true. But in, in this circumstance... I understand what's being said, though. And that's what I'm trying to get to is, do intentions matter? 
or do out? Okay, let me. Okay, we decided intentions don't matter. Does outcome of the circumstance matter? Yes. Yes. So, regardless. Okay, so then can we hold the liar? Can, does is the liar responsible for the outcome of the circumstance? I think. Well, I think that's weird phrasing too. I, the circumstance is the outcome. No. Yes. No. There are outcomes. Okay, it, it might. It is the outcome of this. Okay, we're we're getting caught up over ourselves because every slice of time is a circumstance. Yes. So the liar is responsible for the instantaneous circumstance of, in this case, the believer now having a different state of mind. Yes. That's the next. That's the circumstance. That's not the original circumstance we had said, but that's the new circumstance. We're gonna we're gonna walk it through, in slice. Yeah. From okay. actual changes. So, circumstance one is the liar knowingly tells the lie. Mm-hmm. That's circumstance one. Circumstance two, that is the direct result from circumstance one. Believer believes the lie. Mm-hmm. That's circumstance two. At this point, at circumstance two, is the liar responsible for circumstance two? Yes. Are they solely responsible for circumstance two? That depends on some details about what the lie is because there might be other things there there might be other things that the believer also believes that influences their likelihood to believe the lie it just depends on what it is so in this case we have our first fork yep so if the believer believes the lie regardless of why is the liar the sole person responsible for circumstance two Point one, which is the believer believes the lie. I think yes and no. Mm. Uh, so I, I think no for, for what I just said, which is that the believer may also not have believed the lie if not for some other things that they already believed. But also, yes, the liar is still responsible because believer wouldn't have believed it if not for the lie having been told by the liar. So since liar was a necessary factor, and indeed the, yeah, since liar was, is the only necessary factor, well, hmm, hmm, no. But you see where I'm getting at? Yes. Yes. I mean, don't be wrong. This is this also is the fundamental problem with, well, I didn't kill that person. The bullet did. Actually, the bullet didn't kill that person. The blood loss did. The blood loss did. Yes. Well, actually, the blood loss didn't kill that person. The lack of oxygen to the, the brain. The lack of oxygen to the brain did. You know, y- y- there's always a chain of events. Yes. yes. And don't be wrong. And I think this is why we can actually, I think, say about the circumstance, there is no principal way to resolve the circumstance in a way that is realistically applicable. It is a circumstance. It, this is one of those things we are going to have to rely on the pragmatic case because all of these circumstances we're talking about are unknowable in the objective sense. Okay. Well, because they rely on perception, I would say. Sure. For example, 
there are so many different factors. For example, is does the liar know they're lying? In this case, we've said they do, yes. but does it change? It's not if lying they... if they don't know it. Right. Uh, okay. They're still being honest. Like you, you can tell an untruth honestly. Right. So they lie, but why? Does it matter? No. I don't think so. No. It doesn't matter. Um, the person who believes the lie, in this case, can't help it if they do. But they also can't help it if they don't. Right. And whichever actions they take, they can't be held responsible, or can they, regarding the subject? I think it depends. And so, but let's go all the way back up to the uh, the liar then. So, I feel like there are too many subjective factors, especially when you get to the point of, I'm trying to nail down in principle how you actually can tie the result of the circumstance back to the liar. Because in the even in the root case we gave, it is, well, typically this would be defamation. And so there was some lost opportunity, which and there's all, of course, a problem with that. What's the value of an opportunity? How do you punish the person who lied? You know, what what restitution can be applied, if any, you know? Uh, you could apply rehabilitation, but you would have to act. But does the lie justify force being used against this person? You know, at what point is that okay? And then you can bring up the question of, is it a lie? How do you know that it's actually not true? How do you prove that it's untrue? You know, uh, and you can do that within a certain degree of certainty, which we have to deal with this, but you know, that and pragmatically speaking, but I feel like I don't know, I feel like these are just <clears throat> confounding variables though. Be- the- because like I I think I think we should still be able to answer this question even in the purest case where like the liar comes into court and confesses yep i told a lie i knew that wasn't true and i said it anyway okay now what exactly that's my question is so they they knew it was untrue what claim still does the subject have to make you mean we've said lost opportunity but okay so even if we could in the purest case define that yes they this opportunity and we bring in the the believer who said well i believe the lie and that's why i didn't give him the job if it weren't for that i would have given him the job okay so in that pure sense we know exactly what at least how much money the person would be now making but can you put that on the liar or is it one of those circumstances where the liar because because now that we're playing with reputations as a factor because that's where we went yeah what's how much is a reputation worth yeah well, I, I that that is an important question yes but i don't think that it's necessarily relevant to answering the original question of who's responsible i agree but to me responsibility only matters when there's something to be gained or lost in my opinion the only time we ever really need to consider who's responsible is when we need to do something to that person. Otherwise, why does it matter? Sure. Well, I, I think 
yeah, I, I think you're right. I agree that it only matters when it manifests like that, when there's actually a, a dispute about something. Um, I, I think, I, I guess, I guess where I'm trying to, to sidestep that is that now it, it doesn't matter. It, that's just nitty gritty details that can be worked out somehow. Okay. So we determine the liar is responsible for the circumstance. Right. And then, and then how the court goes about determining what an appropriate, uh, restitution is, is not really relevant. Cause we do that for all kinds of stuff already. Like defamation cases. You're right. We, we have some way we, you know, it can be argued whether or not it's a good way, but people find ways to decide and agree upon, okay, this is how much damage was done because of your defamation. But I'm still trying... I'm still trying to figure out... In most cases that are black and white and easy, we can point to a right that was violated. And that's what I'm still trying to figure out. What right was violated on behalf of either the subject or the believer, in this case, by the liar? Because there's a good social contract answer to this question, but we don't want to go that route. So at some point, we have to point at a right violation for any... Especially if you create a system of laws which only revolve around right violations. Or is that even possible? You know, maybe that was an assumption I came into this that maybe I shouldn't have come into this with, you know, is, you know, I think an ideal law is one that is violated when a right is violated. And it's just our way of expressing the circumstance in which a right is violated. But I can't think of a right that's being violated. You, I, I could see a loose tie to your freedom of association, and that is... The liar, by doing something to, by having an effect on the subject, does form an association. But, man, the right to freely associate is one of the most ambiguous things there is that I agree with in concept, but it breaks down real quickly, you know, um... And it's really hard to actually apply an instance, you know. It's much more complicated than the right to own something, for example. You know. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Because we don't have... I don't think a person has the right to control information about themselves. And that's... that Because that if you believed that, that would be a vector, for example... Like, I have the right to define my reputation. But now you're interfering with someone else's rights of the ability to just perceive things, you know? Um, You could say that people have the right to perceive things however they naturally would or naturally do. And by lying, you've altered what would have naturally been perceived. By creating a situation which isn't natural, 
or would have occurred, which that's another thing, which like what does natural even mean? You, do, do you see my problem that I'm trying to, to solve? I see your problem. I mean, do, do, do you at least agree that there is like some nugget here that we need to I, find? I would agree. And I think because I, I will say that I do think that it is, I do think that the circumstance is bad. And if anything else, laws are an expression of morality. That's what they are. Um, which is, you know, and that's even one of the ways that when I talk to people who tell me that, you know, morality is objective, I say, sure. But you can't know what it is. You can only know pieces of it or you can try. And when people tell me that's ridiculous, I'm like, well, then what is a law? Are there laws that you disagree with or agree with? And it's like, well, what else is a law but an expression of you, a, an entity trying to use force to apply morality, you know? In any circumstance, that's all it is. And it works out that way because laws that people don't think are right won't end up getting obeyed. And they won't end up getting punished. People won't end up getting punished for violating this law if people don't think it's immoral in some way. So we let it go. And in most good systems of law, it goes away. Like we just drop it from existing, you know. But every law you can conceive of in some way, shape, or form at its core has come from a some act, some claim about what is moral and what isn't from somebody and it became a law because most of us in a democratic society voted for it to be such and for me i'm not I'm, i i would say that yes lying is immoral but why you know and the, and i don't know if it's because i'm trying to take the two concepts of lying is immoral and that there is an objective morality and the concept of rights on the individual scale and put them together. And that's where we're having an issue reconciling. I do think there's definitely a nugget here that's eluding us at the moment that we need to figure out, you know, but I'm having just the hardest time coming up with what it is because I do agree. Lying is wrong. The person, the subject in this case has been wronged in some way. They has been, they have been wronged in some way, but in what way, you know? And I'm having a hard time saying exactly why, you know, because yeah, yeah. Well, how about how about we do the uh, the internet podcast thing to do? And uh, give up and pass it off to the audience. What do you think? What do you <laughs> think? I, I think that is a good idea. Um, I do think we need to revisit this at some point, though, when we have more insight. We definitely do. And I do think it would be worth our time to go ahead and go down the road of last resorts next time or something like that. Yes. Because we may glean some clarity Maybe. from that. Um, I do know I'm going to be thinking nonstop about this for a while. Um, so that's great. Thanks, David. Um, You're welcome. That's kind of the whole point of us doing this. So, um, I guess with that all being said, you know, philosophers. Philosophers.